Hello everyone and happy Friday. How's it going uh, Isaac Ben and C Grover over on Discord and uh, let's see Halati over on YouTube. Uh, thanks for tuning in folks. Uh, let me shuffle a couple of things around. It looks like I have sound at least into OBS so I think we're good. Um, let's see. How's it going uh, Beata? Happy Friday. Uh, so let me turn off a couple of these previews and shuffle these windows around so I can see the chat. Take a drink of water. Uh, all right, and now we can get going. So hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Tim, and I go by Foamy Guy on GitHub and Discord. Uh, this is the CircuitPython Deep Dive program. This program occurs every Friday at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific or 4 p.m. Central Time, uh, which is the time zone that I'm in, uh, or 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, you can find out whatever time zone it is for you uh, by converting one of those times. In this program, we are taking a deep dive into CircuitPython. We are either usually looking at CircuitPython libraries or uh, coding projects, or perhaps uh, sometimes the core of CircuitPython itself written in C code. Um, so we are really getting into the kind of deep nitty gritty details of CircuitPython on this program. Um, this was a stream that was originally started up by Scott Shawcroft, the lead developer of CircuitPython. He is away right now on paternity leave, so I've been uh, taking over and doing this stream for a little while. Um, and so that's what the stream is. Um, if you are brand new to all of this, though, and you don't know what, uh, what I'm going on about, let me take just a moment to introduce it for folks that might be new. Um, CircuitPython, this is basically an implementation of Python that runs on these tiny computers called microcontrollers. Uh, this is the main website, circuitpython.org. You can go here to learn more if you're interested. We basically have a version of Python that runs on all of these tiny little computers. They come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, they have all different kinds of things you can hook up to them to do with them, like sensors and buttons and beepers and lights. And, you know, there's Cherry MX keys as well as RGB lights, knobs, um, screens. We do a lot with screens um, on my streams typically. Um, so you can save Python code to these devices and it will run for you. These just show up like a um, thumb drive, essentially. When you plug it into your computer, there's a Python code file on there. Open up that code file, edit your Python code and save it, and it will automatically run on the device. Um, so that's kind of like high level what the project is about. Um, it's an open source project, so um, anybody is allowed to help contribute. If you'd like to join the community, um, definitely head over and join us on Discord. Um, that's a good place to go to get started. Um, if you want to help with development, it all occurs um, out in the open, out on GitHub. So you can join us over there. You can coordinate with us, chat uh, in Discord. There's weekly meetings that occur uh, every Monday inside the Discord channel. So those are a couple of different ways you can get involved. Um, like I did say, though, it's an open source project, so it's uh, free to use. Everybody is allowed to contribute. Everybody is allowed to use CircuitPython on their devices. If you're a third-party hardware manufacturer, uh, you're allowed to, to port CircuitPython to make it run on your device um, for free. You don't have to pay anything in order to do that. Um, CircuitPython as a project, though, is supported by this company, Adafruit. They're a hardware and software company based out of New York. Um, they're the company that is paying the team who works on CircuitPython. Some folks like Scott, 
uh, Katni and Dan and Jeff um, are paid full time to work on the CircuitPython project and surrounding, you know, community and related um, uh, things. Um, some other folks like me and a couple others are paid to work on the project part time. Um, so thank you, of course, to Adafruit for paying all of us to work on the project. And thank you to anyone watching if you want to help support the project by purchasing hardware from Adafruit. Um, you can do that over at adafruit.com. They sell all sorts of hardware, the microcontrollers themselves, all of the different kinds of sensors and uh, doodads and add-ons and all those things that you can plug into your microcontroller to build interesting projects with. Um, so thank you to them and thank you to anybody who does purchase hardware uh, from them. Jumping into today's program though, sounds great on YouTube, thank you. Uh, got here on time almost, nice. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much on time I'd say. Uh, thanks for tuning in, Harold. Uh, let me catch up on a couple of the other chats here. Uh, Ness recently went end of life, uh-oh. Thankfully it was a long and productive life, nice. That's good, at least eight years on a spinning disc. Um, happy, uh, uh, let's see, good midnight. Uh, how's it going, Axel Magnus? Um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh-oh, ruined both pies. That's what, not what we want. Nobody likes a ruined pie. Um, this is a little fuzzy, isn't it? Let's, let's see if we can sharpen that up just a tad. Um, jumping into today's program, though, what I'm going to work on is we're going to take a look at a... Uh, that's a lot better there. We're going to take a look first at a utility uh, made by community member C. Grover, uh, Cedar Grove Studios. Um, so thank you to C. Grover for making this and sharing it. This is a CircuitPython palette filter, and what this does, uh, for folks that were watching last week, I don't remember if it was on Friday or Saturday last week, it was one of my streams. Um, for folks that were watching last week, though, this, this idea spawned out of something that came up in one of last week's streams. We were talking about the idea of being able to um, sort of filter a palette by colors that are similar to the transparent color. So uh, if you imagine, um, you know, a common scenario in CircuitPython is you have some bitmap image, you want to make some portion of that image be transparent. Uh, in CircuitPython, the way that you would do that is part of your image will be a certain transparency color, such as uh, I like to use green because it makes me think of a green screen. You can actually use whatever color you want. Um, I'll show you an example of this if we can find one of these, uh, da, 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 da. do we have two things? Where is, ah, right, these ones are the papyrus ones, that's right. Uh, so in this uh, example, I have a bitmap image where I have green. The green becomes my transparency color. So on the display.io palette object, there's a function called uh, make transparent, I think it is. Um, and you can pass it the index of the color that you want to represent transparency, and then Display.io will essentially, you know, neglect to draw any pixels that are that color. It will just skip them. So whatever was drawn beneath there will show through. It will be as if it was uh, transparent, like in a PNG. So this is a common thing we want to do with Display.io: is use this idea of the transparency color. Um, where the hangup comes in though, or what this uh, discussion was spawned from was uh, when you have a transparency color, but because of some of the manipulations of your bitmap, uh, the edges get a little fuzzy, sort of. The ed edges get anti-aliased, um, or, or is it aliased? I don't actually know the correct term. The edges get kind of fuzzy and it makes it so there are multiple shades of your color. 
to show you this, I'll open this file in, uh, in here, inside of GIMP, Papyrus. Um, it is the font. The font on this one is, well, it's I, technically it's called parchment, but I believe it's supposed to be very close to Papyrus. This was one that I found that seemed to have a permissive license. Um, and as far as I could tell, it is a copy of Papyrus. Um, but I don't know for certain. I don't actually recognize it, and I can't say as though I actually did look at Papyrus specifically as well. Uh, my PC doesn't have Papyrus. I think it comes preloaded like in Windows and maybe Mac, I'm not sure. Uh, mine didn't have it, so I got to try to find a download of it that I can uh, take a look at to compare. Um, excuse me. Okay, so when we have an image like this, we're going to have a palette. The palette is all the colors that are utilized within the image. And what you see here is we have like several different shades of green because of the manipulations that occurred uh, on this bitmap. If I zoom into these edges here, uh, then you can kind of see where these are coming from, right? We have like all the way green out here, and then we have a little bit different green, a little bit different, darker, darker. You know, each of these are like kind of close to green, but not quite green. Um, so this is a utility that's going to try to find all of these, you know, similar colors to your transparent colors so that you can uh, hopefully set them all to be transparent um, without necessarily having to like alter your um, palette because like here you know you can see what I've done is I've scooted all the greens to the beginning of the palette so basically the first you know 12 ish maybe 11 uh, colors are different shades of green so then in my circuit Python code I've gone and said you know for loop 0 to 11 set you know make transparent um, that that index you know 0 then 1 2 3 4 all the way up right so um, you know, that's not bad, but it's some manual work to come in here and go to your palette and, you know, drag these things around uh, to get them all at the beginning or at the end or however you want to do it. Um, wouldn't it be nice if we had some kind of utility to help us do that? And Cedar Grove has stepped up and said, yes, it would be nice. And here it is. So that is what I'm going to play with first. Uh, let me take a quick look at this. Okay. Uh, and of course, I intend to use this most immediately on this flip clock, which I've got running on the device there that you saw. Uh, but obviously, this is like a you know a much more dynamically useful thing, right? Like this, there's lots of different uses for this thing um, within Display.io. You could use it for lots of different reasons, and it makes this idea of kind of like cutting out these colors much easier to do. Um, so I'll clone it to start with. Uh, here's the link. I'll drop it in the chat if anybody is interested. You can, I mean, you can obviously see the URL there as well. But if anyone else is interested in taking a look at the library that I will be tinkering with here, I'll close this thing. It takes up so much space here. Let's. There we go. Um, I'll just clone it and then we'll start take a look at the examples that are in there and just start tinkering away. And eventually we could try to work this into the flip clock. Um, I don't know exactly if I'll do all of that at once. I do also want to try to work on the MPY file size thing, uh, but I want to take a look at this first and foremost, and then we'll see kind of where we go from there. Uh, let's see, this is actually something different. Sorry about that. Let's go. Uh, yeah, uh, close that. Uh, 
How's it going, uh, Deshipu? Thanks for tuning in. On this, I'll open it up in here. Uh, uh, let me open up one of the other ones first. Uh, let's see, it was C for CircuitPython, I think. Filter. No, palette filter, rather. Is always wanting to like change environments now. How's it going, DJ Devin? So I will copy this over to my device as well and then take a look at the code. Huh. Oh, nice. There's a uh, box PDF in here. Replacing color index values, target color along with the tolerance parameter. So you give it the color you want to target. You know, in my case, that would be the green, which is like solid green. Um, 255 green, zero, 0, for red and blue. And then you give it a tolerance, and it will kind of find all the things that are close to that tolerance. Well, to that color and then, you know, far away enough based on your tolerance. Creates a new palette. Nice. Nice, and I will say this bit's most likely over my head, the actual algorithms involved here. I'll pull this up though, because I'm always interested in taking a peek at the kind of essence underneath a uh, functionality. Color distance, okay, color difference. So this does this idea. Yeah, Euclidean distance. Huh. Sequels. Okay. Like we've had a bunch of different versions of this throughout the years. Gotten better and better probably and also as like different screens and different printing capabilities and all that stuff came along, I'm sure we can like more reliably represent more colors, so it would make sense we gotta get better and better at being able to tell them apart. Uh let's see. Start with the examples that are in it, and then we'll play with it some separately as well. This one is going to make a source colors, does it? Uh, it looks like, okay, this one, okay, so simple test. This one will just uh, have the palette and then change it. There's no actual bitmap in this. Uh, let's go to code. Let me do code as... Uh, Let's go uh, papyrus flip clock. Flip it's really flip digit, I guess. It's only one digit. 
I have flip uh, digits with crossbars now, too. I was working on that last night. I didn't stream it, but I was working on that. Uh, but I have not tested them out on the device yet. I haven't taken a look at them. Just generated the sprite sheets and uh, worked on the generator script. Maybe we'll do that later on as well. Uh, although I am, like I said earlier, I'm also interested in getting into um, the MPY file, si file size thing I worked on a couple weeks back. We got some new, new feedback to work on for that. I'm definitely interested in getting that project uh, moving forward. So CodePy here, we can... Oh, we already copy-pasted something else, so we'll go back and grab this. Whoops, oops, oops, oops. Authors. GG, there we go. There we go. But I had put something else in there. Did I change the font? I did, yeah. Well, I, it's called parchment technically, but I think it's a copy of papyrus. I need to look a little bit further into it to make sure that's the case. Um, but that's what I, that's my understanding so far. I did change it to that parchment, which, and the reason I chose parchment is because I, I found a copy of it with a license. So if we want to put it in the repo, uh, then we need to have the license to it. Although it occurred to me after the fact that images, I don't think we would need the font license for. Um, so maybe I just won't, maybe I will use Papyrus, but then just not put the uh, the font itself in the repo. Because I think it's not, I don't know that it's like open source or whatever. I mean, it's easy to find, but I don't, it's licensed for, doesn't seem to be licensed for open source. Um, so this one's mostly just gonna print and we'll need to be connected to the serial console in order to see it. So it's, it's one, let's just take a step through the code here. It's going to set up this palette. The target color is 080808, which is, must be some sort of grayish, right, I guess. So this one's here. And then, okay, these are all like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, okay. And then they're all the same pattern. Okay. So they're basically shades of gray. And then... It's got target color is eight, fill color is none, tolerance is set to four. Create a palette from the source colors. So this is a list. We make a palette, we loop over the source colors, we add them to the palette. So this is basically just making uh, the palette. Wouldn't it be cool? Maybe this would be something we should do one day is a, a constructor for palette that takes a list. Uh, then you could not need all this code at the application layer. It could just be display IO palette and then source colors. You pass it in and it just creates it for you. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, that would be, a, I think, a change in the core, but it'd be easy enough, I think. It wouldn't be too bad, probably. I don't know. I don't know that I, have I worked with lists inside the core? I think so. Maybe it has tuples, I don't remember for sure. Set the source, uh, set the source palette to make transparent, and then it's, in this case, it's going make transparent three, zero, one, two, so that's this one. Stands to get the palette filter, so you go source palette, target color, fill color tolerance, it has print target color, source color, well, source palette, header row, loop, print these things, index color, and then is it transparent or not? Is transparent. Is this on palette? I didn't know there was an is transparent. That's pretty useful. Is that on palette? Must be, right? 
Let's get my signature. I also use Papyrus uh, for my name on the back of a PCB. Nice. Would love to see uh, one, yeah, one less constructor or make pallet. Or, or yeah, it could be make pallet, I guess, too, instead of the, uh, if there's some reason it shouldn't be a constructor. I've seen some where there's, like, functions that are, like, make thing or whatever. Inheritable. Oh, inheritable, so you could extend it. How's it going, Arjun, over on YouTube? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I think it's not enough. So there we go. Color converter. Well, color converter is similar. The palette should be a class also, right? It's going to be down lower. There we go. It's transparent. Yeah, I didn't know that had that. Interesting. Nice. That's a good one to file away. Uh, and then new palette, so it's going to create the new palette for you. Uh, we'll make it accessible on here. Yeah, okay, so palette, filter, palette, and then it will print. So it'll show us which ones are transparent in the after, essentially. So let's let it run. And so this one was transparent initially, and then here we end up uh, true, 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 and it's the last three, but that is because source. I'm fine. Have a day, great day. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so target here is targeting which one to make transparent in the output of this. And then tolerance would affect the number so if we go i don't know if it goes up or down uh probably i guess if we make the tolerance bigger then that means more things could be made transparent so if we got a bigger a bigger tolerance we could eventually probably get it to do this one transparent also let's make sure that i actually understand that though so if we tried six i don't let's see what the scale needs to be like oh yeah there we go nice Okay. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. You just give it your target color. It figures it out for you. Let's try this one, graphics test. Zero for a single color. Oh, okay, nice. So you can, you could still target it down to a single. Okay, zero. And then, oh, you know what? Let me switch back to this real fast. I want to try a few more things. If this is out of order, does it, uh, so like if this was here. Yeah, okay, nice. So the, this basically, this makes it so that you don't have to rearrange your palette, which is awesome. This means your palette can be all scrambled as long as you know your one target color. So I guess I'll say your, tar your your palette can be scrambled. If it were me, I'd still probably move my green, my one base green, I'd probably move it to zero, index zero. Um, but the rest of the palette can be scrambled. 
you can tell it that green index and then it will find all the ones you know similar enough close enough based on your tolerance graphics test was designed for pi portal uh we can tweak it around if we need to yeah i can if i need different graphics or anything uh we can get it tweaked i think and i i have a pi portal here as well actually so if we need to switch over we can ultimately It like uh, flying wires. Let's copy that. Is it super big? Let's see. Oops. It is uh, three twenty by two hundred one. Let's see. We could scale it down some, or we could just try it three twenty. I don't remember what the size is. Let's see what it does. This is like two forty by something. Let's take a look through this one. It's gonna. This one has got the image file. Uh. Couple of display parameters, brightness for the display, rotation, background color, none. Scale one, okay, image file, target color as green. Fill color, none. Tolerance invert. What does fill color do? We'll have to try that a little bit. Invert, false, tolerance one. Instantiate the display, built-in display, set the brightness, set the rotation. Create a group. For primary layer, show it on the display. Create a rectangle. That vector I/O or shapes? Let's see. Shapes. Okay. Create a rectangle with shapes. X Y width height fill. Background color. That's gonna be fill none, I guess, on that one. Background color. Put that behind everything. Put the palette. Well, image load bitmap. Source palette from this image file here. I'll grid for it. Add it to the group that's showing. Create a label next. Text has target, anchor point, anchor position. This one may end up off the screen for us. We can tweak it to move it somewhere else. Or I, I'll probably just grab the pie portal, actually. It's right here as well. Target block. Smaller rectangle, 30 by 30, fill it with the target color, add that to the group, add the label to the group, fill label, position, fill color is none. Okay, I just set this transparent label if, if fill color is none. Another 30 by 30, tolerance level label, so we can print the tolerance. This one has the word tolerance, this one it looks like we'll get the value. Invert. False, add them all to the group. There's our palette filter, source palette target color, fill color tolerance, invert, and then uh, 765 frames, count by twos, so half that. So then this change the tolerance each time. So, so as the tolerance changes, we get to see uh, you know, each time how close it is, right? We get to get a sense for like how close are those colors at that tolerance level. So when we see it, we'll be able to do that. Uh, you could replace range. Uh, let's see. You can also replace range of colors with uh, an another color paint. Range of colors with another color. It's a range of colors. Oh, like like you could replace them all with. Uh, 
But like you could replace them all with the target color or something like that. So you could find like all of the near greens and change them to absolute green. Is that what you mean? Not sure if I follow. Okay, I will just load it on the pie portal because I do have one right here, but which one is this? Is this standard? No, okay, yeah, this is mini. It's about time for a desk cleanup. Probably past time for a desk cleanup, if we're honest. I put a wipe off. Yes, right, right, right. Okay. Interesting. That's a cool way to do it as well. So you, I see. So you paint. You mean paint like paint bucket fill, basically, because it essentially gives you that effect. You could fill a region of near colors with a new color. Interesting. All right, let's grab the library again. This one. That on this device, which is now the the Pi Portal. Oh, but I didn't unplug the feather, actually. Let me unplug the feather. Oh, but now the Pi Portal is going to be Circuit Pi 1 here. Let me unplug So, again, invert will create masks of the non background. Create masks of the non background. Masks of the non background. I'm not sure I follow that either. But we could, tr I'll try it out with True False. I think that will probably make it. Easier for me to understand. Is this what is running here? Does this print anything? Oh, okay. Oh, I see. It doesn't have the actual speaker hooked up, I don't think. Yeah, we don't have that, I don't think. Well, I mean, we might as well. I don't know if it's a simple test or if it was modified. So it should fail the first time because I didn't copy the image. Well, I didn't copy the library either. Oh, I, this one probably shouldn't be inside lib, actually, though. Let's put this out here. Cut. Paste it.
Gotta restart. Paste? Paste like gray ish? What? Grayer than the rest of these. Hmm. Like ever so light, ever so slightly a darker color. Okay. Yeah, here we go. I don't know what the color is all about, but it did run. Okay, so we've got our photo LRs. It's changing the tolerance down here. And it's cycling through tolerances, just counting by two, which is giving us the ability to kind of see, like, once LRs is pretty much cut out all the way, um, then, like, that's probably the tolerance about where we'd want to use. Somewhere right around 350-ish. I think it was, so let's play with it a little bit manually. Oh, uh, let's just go pass on that one. Then let's go... This one's a much broader range. Oop, uh, oh, we don't need this. This one's a much broader range than the previous one. The previous one, we had a low tolerance, like only four. I bumped it up to six. And then this one, we're in the hundreds. But I think I saw it around 350, maybe 340. Whoops. Not quite. I wonder, did I actually set it? Maybe it's not actually, so, well, yeah, no, we need to set this. Yeah, okay, let's do, uh, let's do this one here. Let me put that back also. I'm going to try it lower again. Yeah, update the tile grid to use this palette, yeah. Okay, so we got little bits of it taken out at 200 and then closer to around 300 we'll have more it's darn close there the only parts left at 300 are the shadow they're definitely going to be the hardest bits for it to understand because they're the most you know the most different from the actual green that one's pretty good. There's still a little bit under there, lining up with about what I thought I saw. I'm just trying to get a feel for like the different different values here. We got some extra bits down there taken care of with that 10. Yeah. Nice. I didn't update the I didn't update the tolerance on the label. We could do that. Let's go uh, for completeness sake. Tolerance value dot text tolerance. Oops. Int object has no find. Find. Only find. What does find do on string? Is that a thing? String.find. 
didn't know about that either. So we're so close there. Yeah. Okay, let's try this with uh, one of these also. Actually, let's try this with one of these that is... I still have one of these that is not... Rearranged? It did, right? I mean, I could run it again. Well, actually, I guess this one would be. Whoops. Oh. Oh, this one has the crossbar in it, too, actually. Nice. Okay, yeah, that one's jumbled up. It does look like zero is, like, pure green. That's what it looks like to me, at least. The other thing that might be interesting is, like, I wonder if you target something in the middle, like... Or if I targeted that one. Or, like, that one. Maybe I could have a lower tolerance? I'm not sure. Or would the tolerance... It's probably the same either way, is it? Well, no, I mean, if you pick the center of the range that you're interested in, then you should be able to have smaller tolerance. Yeah, that's probably the best way to go, right? Is target the one in the middle. So, 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 like, the range of colors is, like, the brightest, you know, most vivid version of that color, and then, like, the dullest is the one on the other end of the spectrum. And that's the range you're interested in. If the one you target is in the middle, then your tolerance only has to get you halfway on each side. But if the one you target is the most brightest or the dullest, then your tolerance has to get you the full range. Am I thinking about that the right way? Maybe that's not actually how the math works out. Okay, let's do give this one a try, though. So this this one's got it all jumbled up. Although this is probably too big, isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't think this loads. Uh, let's generate a smaller one. Maybe like 32... So like the this one is a, a hundred tall, I think, so sixty-four. We went down by twenty. Oh, also though I want animation frames five. Okay, they're way wider than they need to be. 
They're actually like really wide. Oh, oh, the height was a hundred, not the width. The width was uh, the width was only forty-eight. There we go. That's a little bit more reasonable. We could, uh, we could tap the font size up a bit, I think. I know we don't, like, this. these details don't matter for our test of the palette thing, but I'm also working on creating the sprite sheet here as well to have one to share for this library, so might as well take a minute and get them lined up how we want. I mean, truthfully, well, the zero, it's probably, okay, that's probably getting, getting, getting close to about as big as we can do it. We don't have too much more width for the zero. Nothing else, honestly. Maybe a tiny bit, but what is static looking like? Yeah. Horizontal bar is on the four. But unfortunate, it's a little too big, isn't it? Was that by offset? Line color. I don't think I did have a center line size argument yet. Have it as a variable here. Or isn't it coming out to four pixels though? Play a half size? Coming out to three pixels. Oh, okay, because we, we start it, we basically go minus one for one side, plus one for the other side. I don't know what it will do if we put it on one, will it actually be smaller? Let's actually make it smaller with that math. No, that's smaller. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh... One thing I noticed about this font, Papyrus or Parchment, is that it's a little bit weighted towards to top or bottom. Anyway, I introduced a 
Y offset here, which allows you to move it a bit because it was kind of not quite centered initially. Uh, so I figured this would be nice, like some fonts might be further down towards the bottom or some fonts might be further up towards the top and you might want to like nudge it up or down by a couple pixels in either direction in order to get it to be how you want your flips to look. Um. So I do think we want a little bit further back up, I think, right? Is this going... Which way does this actually go? Yeah. Okay. 65K. Okay, so we've got we've got full green as zero. I'll get like a halfway-ish nearby, and we'll try targeting those as well. If I'll actually have room, so Let's see if it saves. Or I guess we have plenty of room, right? It's got like eight megs. Yeah, the room is actually not the problem. The RAM. RAM is the problem, not the room. Class calculates the differential, so picking the center shade might help, but not so not not significantly. Okay. I'm gonna go top animation. Is it sheet? Top animation sheet? I think so. Target color. Oh, yeah, actually, you don't. Your target color doesn't necessarily have to be the zero index either. Nice. So this one is taller, right? It's running off the bottom down there. That's fine. Could maybe rotate it, it might fit, but it doesn't matter too much, truthfully. And I wonder what the tolerance is like on this one. Maybe we should we put it back through the... 100 is almost there, but not quite. Let's let it go back through its, uh, this thing here. Put these back off. Do these. Oops. Oh, what? why did that not interest? Oh, much want this one still. Hmm. Well, that makes sense actually, because the 
overwhelming majority of ours is straight green, right? We only have those couple of pixels around the edge. That does make sense, actually. Nice. I think that's probably good. About 200. A little over 200, actually. There we go. Sweet. I'm going to look at it straight on. Curious what, let's see what the effect of the second color is. How do we find out the second color? Oh, there's a sort inside here. Huh. And okay, we don't have a great way to target the uh, or to figure out what the second one is, so I'll find like a middle ish, maybe uh, maybe one of these. So then if we go with that one, we can have smaller tolerance, it looks like. Sweet spot between there. Ooh, uh, maybe there's not quite a zone. Maybe there's not a good zone with this one. Okay, it cuts both actually. So the target one, maybe that's too dark. Try this one that was right above it, I think. A little brighter. Oops. That's a pretty good cut.
at uh, 205. Cut the gray if we go higher. Wait. Let's look at the let's look at the loop again on this one. Wait, I did that wrong. Around 1.30, it takes out the bulk of the background. But there is still a little bit, maybe like one row of pixels there. We cut that, we're around 2.30, 2.40. That's about like the hot zone, kind of. Which was about the same. Yeah, so it was about the same. Maybe it can, I mean, 2.10 gets us most of the way there, so we can go a little bit lower. But not that much like Seagrover was saying not significantly definitely one one gross Okay, sweet. So this gives us a way, if we want to, to do less work with our transparency, less manual work of manipulating the palettes by hand, which is awesome, because I spend a fair amount of time going back and like reorganizing palette colors in order to make them transparent inside CircuitPython. So this is awesome. Thank you for making this and sharing it, Seagrover. I definitely will want to add this as an option inside the flip digit to where the user could... Well, it, it, it kind of can just... It'll work alongside the flip digit, truthfully, because the way that I set it up is... Uh, the palette gets generated aside. The palette gets generated at the user code level rather than inside. So you could use this in conjunction, and actually this library doesn't have to change. Flip digit will work as is. Because you initialize your images, which means you get your palettes as well. You make them transparent however you want, and then you pass them in. And then internally, the bits that it does are the fader to go brighter and darker. But the actual transparency is handled outside. Nice. If there's no uh, if there's no stage of green that you want to preserve, then the target color is not critical. Oh, okay, I see. If you wanted to keep some greens, then going further away from it helps you keep them. I see. Interesting. Okay, that does make sense. So then the green, just targeting the base color like this probably makes the most sense. 
Yeah. And looks pretty good too. I think these edges actually look better. This one, the right edges there. Nice. What is 250? Does 250 do anything else? I don't remember what we had when we were like this. Oops, 250. Yeah. Looks pretty good. Sweet. Okay. This is awesome. Try the fill color and invert. Yeah, thank you. I should do that. Let's go. Uh, we'll set them up here, right? Invert. So let's try invert false. Uh, well, it was just on false. Let's try invert true. Okay. I see. Keep everything except. Okay, nice. So you can do positive or negative, basically. That's really cool as well, actually. Yeah, basically that means it works for... It works for both ways. Whether you're trying to cut out your transparency or whether you're trying... Well, I say whether you're trying to cut out your transparency, but it's really like whether you're trying to cut out your color or keep your color. You can do it either way. I see. And then fill color, so let's try like blue. Or uh, let's try um, ink. I'll do capitals to match these ones. But then this will replace it. Yeah. Nice. So it is. It's like bucket fill, kind of like paint, paint drop fill, sort of. You can, and then it has a square here, but my pink is already on top of it, actually. Yeah, this is this is really cool. Actually, this kind of really gives us a lot of a lot of flexibility that we didn't have with Display.io before. Or I should say it's not that it, it's not that it's flexibility we didn't have, it's that it was manual. You would have had to like manually set up your palette, figure out your indexes and set everything. This is giving you a nice quick easy to use API that is not manual at all. You can just take your image, whatever it is, throw it on the screen, try out a couple of tolerances, find the one that looks best, and boom, you're done. You don't have to worry about any kind of like palette manipulation at all. You don't need to order it. You don't need to shuffle it to put your transparency at the beginning. You don't even need to know anything about the palette, honestly, because you don't target it by index. You target it by color. So like you don't. You honestly, you don't need anything. You don't need to know anything about the palette, and the palette doesn't need to be in any way specially prepared, other than like you have to will have had a transparent color in it, but like no other manipulation. It simply needs to exist, which is awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. Is there, there's not a rotate, is there? What's the easiest way to rotate this? There's not one. Let's see. It's like roto zoom. I think is probably the easiest and only. Oh, well, I could well I could rotate the display. Does that help us? Yeah, maybe. Let's try rotating the display. Touchscreen color picker cursor. Oh, interesting. So you can. So the user of the application could. Select the color 
more so than the like developer of the application. Interesting, you can still see part of the REPL behind here. Surprised by that, I think. Maybe the size is different. Thing with the size is making it weird. Yeah, or, well, no, something with the rotation made it weird. It's like it still had part of the old rotation on it. Huh. It's probably just because it didn't redraw the whole thing. Nice. Okay, yeah, this is amazing. Big thanks to Seagrover in the chat. This, I think, really does... Like I said, it, it was. it's going to give us a lot. It just makes... It makes dealing with transparency inside your bitmaps so much easier. Not having to manually move all of these uh, palette indexes around and worry about all that stuff. It makes it a lot more like... I mean, it's one step closer to PNG, basically, where it just supports transparency natively. Obviously, we're not there yet, but it makes it, makes it feel more like that, um, even closer to that than what we have today. So that is awesome. Thank you again for creating this and sharing it. Uh, if anybody's interested in playing around with it, I did drop that link in the GitHub before. Eventually, I think it will end up in the community library bundle, potentially. Not there yet, but it's up on GitHub, right? So you can still play around with it if anybody wants to. Um, and yeah, I will set up some of the examples in the flip clock repo to use that instead of what I have today, which is, I think, like range. I did range 0 to 11 for my transparent indexes. But that's like 11 is just a magic number, right? I just had to look at the palette and find that and also rearrange the palette so that all 11 were at the beginning. I don't know why I just put that in there. I'm actually, I got to run and fill up my water. I am super thirsty this evening for whatever reason. So I'm going to fill up my water real fast and then I'll be right back and we'll dive into some uh, MPY file size stuff. So BRB. Yeah. Oh, nice. Hand-drawn silkscreen fonts. Cadney font. Okay.
Okay, there we go. Uh, next thing I will get into is MPY size stuff. So this is something I started a little couple of weeks back. Uh, let's go to cookie cutter. Cookie cutter. This PR. This PR is, has the work that has been done so far. Basically, for folks that don't know, and, and there are a couple of streams that cover this a few weeks back, so if anyone's interested in this stuff um, and didn't catch those and want more of the background filled in, you can uh, catch those VODs on YouTube, um, and you can see when we were working on this before. Um, this is basically a thing that will let a GitHub Action print a comment on a PR, with the size of the MPY file for that branch. And specifically, it will compare it to the current size of that library. That way, we can have a quantitative thing that says, you know, like, if we merge these changes, then the size of the MPY file goes from, you know, whatever, 1.2K to, you know, 1.4K or whatever, right? Like, we'll be able to see those things Print it out as a comment on the PR, and it will happen automatically from the actions. The specific thing that I am working on... Oh, nice. Just one of the catney boards. I2C potentiometer. I got one of those. Do I? No, mine's a... Do I? Yeah, I do. I have the... Oh, no, mine's a rotary, rotary encoder. Not a... Not a... Um, not a potentiometer. Rotary encoder I have. I don't think I do. I don't think it does say catney on there either, unfortunately. Um, so the specific thing to work on is the way it's getting the current size. So I said it compares the new size or the changed size with the current size. Um, well, the current size, the way it's calculating it is not what we want. So we talked about this a bit in the meeting last last week in the in the weeds, I think it was. Uh, so if anybody is also interested in more of that context, I would encourage you to go back. You can find the old meetings on YouTube as well. Uh, the meeting uh, during In the Weeds, we talked about this a bit. And Jeff raised the idea of the way we're getting the current size is um, by using the bundle, uh, which let's dive into the code a bit because it has size tools... Let's go here. This is going to be a cool DevOps. Yeah, data point 
MPY size. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Eventually, I hope to get to a point where we're importing on a device as well and maybe getting RAM. I think that would be super cool, but one step at a time. We gotta walk before we can run. Um, inside of here, size tools, it download latest bundle. So this would be what it's using. It's getting the current size from the latest bundle. Published version. So it says download latest bundle. Download the latest bundle. Change directories inside of it. So this must download it and unzip it, then change directories to go inside of it, change directories to go inside a lib. Create a variable because we need to handle single file MPY files versus multiple file ones. So if it so we make a variable for the single file, we check if that file exists. If it does, we get the stats from it. So we're just downloading the bundle, trying to find this file. If it exists, we get the stats from it. If it doesn't exist, then we assume it's not a single file. It's going to be a multi-file. And so in that case, it is going to get the package name. It's going to CD into the package name directory. And then it's going to get sizes from directory dot slash, which will add up all the sizes of all the files inside that directory. And so the key thing right now is that this is downloading the bundle. This says download latest bundle. So that's where these are coming from, these ones that it's comparing to. We want to do something else. Instead of download the latest bundle, we want to clone or check out the main branch build it as an MPY files and then compare against that rather than whatever's in the bundle. And so we think about it. So right now, the build of this branch comes from other actions. See, because we're using this. So this is the bit working on checking the size for the current version, the version that's been, well, not current, I should say the changed version, the version that's in the PR. And it's actually just finding some built MPY files that already exist. They already exist because there's another action that created it.
Firefox, switch tab, not deallocate. Thing I would like to see is having CI upload uh, bin sizes onto a database with a board ID and a git hash. Bin sizes on into a database. The bin sizes of the um, the builds inside the core repo, you mean? Or do you mean library binary sizes? And so one thing is there's kind of a lot of steps to building the current one. So this is going to check out the current repo. This is what builds it. And so we'll actually need to do our, well, we'll, we'll either need to add another step that builds the main branch, or we'll need to do that inside of our stuff. I think I lean towards trying to do it inside, but it's also partially that I'm just less familiar with GitHub Actions. Because I one thing I don't see is how does it know which branch it's checking out? Out current repo. Actions checkout. Does this, is this like, is it built in to just know what branch? Can you tell it a different branch? And can you give it like a directory or something? Cause the thing is like, if we check out, like we, if I check out main, then it's gonna like change everything to be main. I don't really, I don't really wanna have to change back and forth. And I also don't wanna break any of the other actions that are assuming, that could be assuming the branch that it's on. Only a single commit is fetched by default for the hash that triggered the workflow. Set fetch step zero to fetch all history for all branches and tags. Doesn't look like you... Well, this one, okay, this one does have a repository. And then branch, I guess. Can you give it a location? Can I like clone it? Relative path? Okay. That's getting closer, I think. So this one basically is. Okay, so let's see, where did I, I was trying these somewhere. Um, 
It's been a couple of weeks, though. I'm not sure. Is it this one? It was this one. Nice. Branch. If environment.branch ref equals main, then. I assume it knows because it's in the environment variables. Thinking of the core mostly, but library sizes would be cool too. So this would basically give you, this would basically let you have a list of all the boards that are supported and what size their binary is. And then because it has git hashes, you could presumably like see it over time or maybe over time is not the right way to think about it, but like over code changes which happen over time that would be interesting that would also let us see if and which boards are very close to the limit potentially which is probably helpful information to know because right now it's like we go to add something and then like some of them are now over the limit and then we got to go and like try to cut elsewhere to make room back Okay, so let's say name clone, we're gonna say clone main branch, main branch, repository. So that's where it gets weird because we want this repo. But could we just not give it a repository and then it will check out the one that we are made the action from. We could give it a path of main branch repo. We could then give it a ref of main, because it said that could be a branch. Thought it said that, right? The branch tag or SHA to check out, yeah. Otherwise it uses the default branch. So, okay, the, de the default is GitHub repo. So that will check out this one. And then ref, we can tell it the branch we want. So we should end up with a folder called main branch repo that is a copy of the main ranch. Main, did I say main ranch? I think I said main ranch right there. Unclear if it was for salad dressing or a plot of land where they house cattle. Maybe a bit of both, I don't know. Let's just see if this works. Cause I don't, like I said, I'm not very like, I have, don't have a lot of experience with actions. I don't have a lot of like, trust that what I'm doing is right. Uh, test, uh, check, check main, check main. Run. Why does this happen? LS main branch repo. CD, CD main branch repo is there like git uh git status git status yeah let's do that okay let's try this
What are we missing? Files? Oh, bundle stuff? Okay, that's fair. Sizes. One thing I maybe we want to do is well, we'll get to we'll cross that bridge when we get there. One thing I'm not sure if this prints out anymore. It might only go to the comment, and we might not be able to see it in the actions output. That's the case. We might go back and make it so it prints out as well. But explain what what you're trying to do again. I am so right now. Well, here, I think this will make it easier to understand as well, if we can see the old ones I did. So does... Did this actually... Yeah, did print all this stuff out. So, well, these okay, no, not quite though, because it doesn't have the comparison. Okay, let me go here, maybe. Okay, yeah. So these are the outputs. This is what the actions command that we are working on will output. Um. And right now what we have here is published version, which is taking it from the bundle, the currently released bundle, and that's where it's getting these numbers from for the current version. For, I mean for the published version. What we want though is we want this bit here to be main version, not necessarily published version. The vast majority of the time, those two things are gonna be the same thing. Like most of the time, whatever is the published version in the bundle, is the same thing that is in main. But sometimes it might not be the case. It might be the case that a PR got merged, thus main has been updated, but a new release has not been made yet, or possibly a new release has been made, but, the, but it hasn't made it into the bundle yet. Because the bundle also gets generated once per night. So, it could be the case that whatever's in main is actually different from whatever is currently as of right this second in the bundle. It will probably catch up by tomorrow and be the same again. You know, if a release has been made, or if not yet, then probably it will catch up within a week or so when um, Eva makes the releases for us. Um, but for those scenarios where they might be different, we want to be comparing to the main version rather than the published version. That way we're always comparing the changes in this PR against what is currently in main rather than what is actually currently released already. Let me know if that makes sense. And so then like most immediately I'm gonna have it check out main, see if that worked, and then if it did, we're gonna CD inside of main and we're gonna build the MPY files for main, and then that's where we will get our, you know, main version numbers from, and then we'll we'll swap them out for the published version. 
Okay, nice. We push here and then we'll wait. See the actions. On pull, there's actually two actions that trigger. There's one for push and one for pull request. And I, I guess pull request is the one we would want to be doing this on. Do we have any limiters? Huh. I wonder, we probably want to limit this to not run unless it's the pull request. Since this runs on push also, I guess we wouldn't want it to run if it was just a push to main because there would be no PR to comment on. We pretty much only want to do it on a PR, I think. Yeah. See, there is an MPY size of main, the last release, and the version in the bundle. Yep. Are you planning to store the MPY size in main or to calculate it again on every PR? Uh, I hadn't really considered it, but definitely where my mind was going was calculate it again on every PR. Yeah, I think that's what I lean towards, because if we tried to, like, we, we could calculate it and then check it into main, and then we could just read it from there, like in a JSON file or something, but we'd have to make extra commits. Like, after each merge, it would have, like, a follow-up commit where it updated the size, maybe. It would be more efficient, because then we wouldn't need to build main during the PR. So that would like definitely cut down the amount of stuff the actions is doing. It's an interesting idea actually storing it. Yeah, I hadn't I definitely had not considered it. What are these post? Post-job cleanup. It's new? I don't recall ever seeing post stuff before. Huh. So it didn't crash. That's got to be a good sign. Check main. Oh, we should have... Oh, okay. Check clone main. Here we go. Check out repository. Config changes. Stuff. Counting. From. Check out. Doesn't tell us much here as far as like, did it go to the right directory? It's as far as I can see. Oh, actually right there, it does. Main branch repo. LS main branch, okay, okay. We got all these files. We did uh, get Get status or whatever, or on branch main. What did we have it do? CD, okay, LS it, CD into it, and then get status it. 
So this is all the git status. And so it does show that it's on main, nothing to commit, all of that stuff makes sense. So now inside of here, well, let's build. We could build from here too, right? Can we or no? Where is, uh, where's build MPY? Build assets. Library location, yeah, we can. Where's it, is it gonna build, um, hmm, is it gonna build? Is it gonna put them inside the library, the ones it builds, or is it gonna put them inside the directory that we are currently in? So I'll leave check main for now. Obviously we won't really need this one in the final thing, but I'll leave it for now. Uh, build, build main, build main. What is this mad about? Schema validation? Why? Name? Required string actual object? So here, library location would not be dot. Instead, it would be dot slash main, what did I say? Main branch repo or something? Yeah, main branch repo. Main branch repo. Uh, let's see. Caching it would use less actions. That's definitely true. Uh, although I think Adafruit isn't paying for that since it's all open source and public repos, but it's considerate. I think they pay GitHub for something. I don't know the specifics, but I think they are a paying GitHub customer. I'm not 100% sure, so I reserve the right to be wrong. I certainly could be wrong about this or really anything, uh, but I think they pay for something. And I don't know if it's like, I don't know how it works, if it's an amount of hours used or if it's just like support or I have no idea. But I feel like I recall somebody mentioning that they do pay for, uh, to, to like be an organization on GitHub, I think. Do you have to pay for that? I'm not actually sure. Uh, something like that, though, I think. And then it, it, Actions is like one part of it, I would assume. So we should, you know what we should do, though, is we should move our check main until after build main. That way we can see after it's built. Why does it paste like that? PyCharm does not understand YAML very well. This YAML? Yeah. Gotta work on that. I'm gonna change this to look at, just because check is close to checkout, which is a git action, which is not what we were doing. And for a second, I almost confused myself with it. This one says check size as well, but. Maybe we should do like size measurement, measure sizes. 
We still have check down here as well. I use check quite a bit actually. Hmm. That's interesting. We have nothing there. Is there any other kind of caching? Is there like... Is there any place it can be cached that's not inside the repo? Can like actions just cache some JSON data and then access it again in a future action without it actually being in the repo? Or would it pretty much have to commit it and uh, push it into the repo? If there's some like in-between place where you don't have to make a commit, but you could save it there, that would be pretty cool. Because it, it would, it definitely would be nice to not actually calculate it every time. Okay, while this is running, I'm gonna run to the restroom real fast because of all the water I've been drinking. So I'll be right back again. Okay. I almost want to set up a locally hosted runner, which we played with a little bit when I first started this as well, because it'd be nice to be able to like get a look at what's going on inside the actions container more specifically. All right, so here's our build main. Deleting existing build. Yeah, so the I think this I think this deleted the I think this deleted the one that got built before. So build assets here. This generates This generated this and zipped it. I think this deleted it. This is now saying delete existing build. And this is the same directory, but probably a different commit, I guess, right? Isn't that a commit hash? Maybe not. 909, now that does say the same. Hmm. Does this quite a few times?
I, this is kind of odd. I am surprised this is the same. Shouldn't those be different? Yeah, and it doesn't have, uh, they're not inside of here. So I guess what we want is maybe do this, do cd main branch repo. And then this is actually going to be back to dot. What was that, 909? That's actually not any of these commits. Is that the current? What was that? No? Hmm. Find behind or something? Mine is different. You could run any script you want. I think the right place to make it happen would be inside the build tools. I'm not yet sure where to store it. I can't think of a reason to not commit it to the repo. Um, mostly I'm just scared of having the actions like make a change and commit it because if it goes wrong then it might like delete something or add too much or something weird i mean i guess we just test it and try to make sure it doesn't do that but github artifacts artifacts would be interesting we use artifacts for the builds i think workflow artifacts if those can be accessed by a future workflow that might be a good candidate I mean, the, the other thing with the committing it is then essentially every commit becomes two commits or every PR becomes an extra commit, which I guess doesn't matter, right? Commits are free. It doesn't really matter how many we have, so maybe that's not a problem. Artifacts does seem like an interesting idea, though. If that can be accessed from the next one, you can download it. Okay, so we could post, like, a JSON file into the artifact and then we could download it. My artifact. So are these per branch or Per repo or load all artifacts.
surprised we haven't managed to crash one of these yet, honestly. So this one did its thing, build its stuff. Clone main branch. Build main. CD. Yeah, see this time we don't have the deleting. Okay. And then this is... Okay, yeah, we actually do have two different uh, numbers now as well, hashes. So this one, which should be the changed branch, is 2AO. And then this one, which should be main, is 093. Makes sense for main. Uh, this one is 403. I don't know where we got the two. Two AO. Maybe those aren't commit hashes. I assumed they were, maybe they're not. AO. Or did we get, do we already have multiple commits? No, I have a two AO. Hmm. I don't know where that came from. For a GitHub action run, uh, but I don't see download this one. Yeah, the official one doesn't support that. There's an issue for that. This does. Actions download artifact. I see. Download this one. Action download artifact. So yeah, I'm not I don't know, I'm not sure about this hash. That seems odd to me. I don't know where it got where it got that, but as far as I understand, this should be the one that's building the branch from this PR. This one now looks to be building main. And if we look inside of here now, we have these, which is perfect. Inside of these, it's gonna have the MPY file that we need to use check against so inside of here nope we don't have it open actually okay let me open it probably not gonna be in recent well it's in there somewhere but size tools so this is gonna now be main version main branch version download latest bundle so we're not gonna we don't need to download anymore
Honestly, it's going to behave a lot more like this one. Here's our is file. So this will look in the current directory to find this file. Okay, so before we do that, we want to go os.chdir main, is it uh, main repo branch? Main repo branch, is that right? Yeah, no, main branch repo, okay. cd to there. Then find the version 8 MPYs. Go inside there. Go inside the first directory you find. Go inside lib. Then do basically this stuff, but this would be main branch version. And the good news is, like, this is all the exact same stuff in the other one, so... Besides the output, I don't think much else needs to change. And this does need changed version size, changed version size strings. Curve version size. Oh, okay, so where we 
do these, we actually want Kerr. I should probably change it to main version instead of cur version, but string file. Um, let's say change to compare with main branch instead of published. Received two 10,000 milliamp hour batteries. Got a possible hurricane headed this way and starting to charge up everything. Yikes, good luck. I hope it doesn't uh, get too bad out there. Wherever you're at. Hope your batteries get charged up and get you through as well. It's definitely nice. I got a big battery bank and it's definitely nice when the power's out to still be able to do some stuff. Okay, so that is now pushed. We pretty much need to make another change here though and push it. That way we'll get the actions to run again. Um, let's comment that out for now. You know, one thing else we probably want to check is, like, do we need to CD anywhere else? Because, oh, okay, no, this is already original working there. This is already going to change us back. Okay. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. Well, that stuff doesn't matter. I'm going to leave that. We'll commit it again later. I wonder if those push uh, actions are failing. 
I'll find out when I check my email after this. I think it sends me an email for failed actions. 10k batteries are brand new products. Max used to be 6600. Oh nice, that's like another 30, 3400. That's pretty good size. Increased 30%. Excited to try it out with my weather station. I'm sure we'll get some work this week logging everything data for Dio, as long as I have Wi-Fi anyway. It's to log to your phone as a tether. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, tethering your phone to have stuff join the network is pretty nifty. It's definitely helpful sometimes. Especially if the power's out and therefore the uh, internet, like Wi-Fi, is out, then cell phone network is definitely super useful. You have like an SD card or something in your uh, in your project. You could cache data to that as well, and then even if you had no network connection, it would still be inside your local file. You could either like upload it after the fact or be able to look back on it. Uh oh, this time we failed. No such file. Hmm. I guess it's because it was CD'd into the wrong place, right? It was CD'd into wherever this left it. So this won't work. We need to go back to, uh, we need to go back to the root, which was that original, I think, right? Original, original location or something. Did we actually get that from original working dir? Yeah. Oops. Go back there first. So that XD carding is a great idea. I haven't set that up yet. I have an SD card on the featherwing though. Nice. Oops. I should have uh, changed the commit message, but. I'm gonna close this one and this one. Probably close device workspace as well, but this will at least make it it so it doesn't have to scroll. And then I guess, I don't know, we'll comment this one more, or I don't know. Oh, that's, uh, is the YouTube, oh no, the Discord is running off the screen too, oh goodness. Didn't check my, uh, review well enough today. Okay. Is the YouTube super tiny? Is that just my preview? 
pretty tiny. Let's make it. Okay, there's a little bar there that's like the top margin. We could try to cut that out as well, but I'll check with that later. I don't want to do too much inside OBS while it's running. I think that looks better. I'll have to... Ah, uh, yeah, I wonder if there's like... Can I set a default? I'll have to try to remember to... Uh-oh. Where's the rest of our stuff? Hmm. Ooh, I don't know. Something went wrong here because this is also pretty much current version instead of instead of main. Well, main and published, but I mean, in this case, main and published probably should be the same. Hmm. So what was this? Was Oh, okay, output string. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to not do that. Yeah. Okay. I I guess we probably want this still. And then this should be plus equals. Um. Why is main that different than published, though? Published, we had only 766. But main is bigger. Twenty-five days ago? Twenty-eight days ago. So, I guess though, in my case, main could be behind? Maybe my main is behind.
A gator for Dio as a way to import a log from an SD card. Well, you can write the code though, right? You can write code that loops through the SD card and then uploads it to Adafruit IO. Definitely not with Whippersnapper. Yeah, that one I definitely know less about. I've only done the most basic with Whippersnapper so far. I'm using as your name main real time. Nice. Two. Temp. It's two for the temp sensor and TFT feathering. Too many projects. Ah. It's not a problem though. Too many problem. Too many projects is a good thing. Lots of projects is a good thing. Okay. So we pushed our size. I think so. It would be checking out Foamy Guy main. I think right because it, it would be checking out the branch that spawned it. And in my case, or is no. Yeah, okay. So, but yeah, mine is, is a while back still. So maybe my main is behind slash wrong. We're gonna go Fumigai main merge from Adafruit main. Push. This gets Fumigai main caught up. Then we go back to here. Maybe we should have it output this hash as part of the comment. So yeah, I think when you upload it using MQTT, it'll give data points with the wrong timestamp. It only works in real time. Can you specify a timestamp in the JSON? Uh, that I'm not sure about, but I mean, you could always, yeah, I don't know. If there's like a built-in timestamp, it may be automatic. You could make another field or whatever and submit your own timestamp. But yeah, if there is an automatic one, you may not be able to change it. I'm not I'm not too sure if there is or isn't. I also have only limited experience with Adafruit IO more generally too. I've done the most basic stuff with Whippersnapper, done a little bit more Adafruit IO, but not that much, truthfully. Um I don't think I've even ever done any sensor readings to Adafruit IO. The stuff I used it for was like uh, pushing a video, uh, no, not a video, pushing an image to it and then showing that image on the screen uh, in typical 
Bummy guy fashion is that for showing stuff on the screen. But it didn't fail this time. This is now different. Nine. Okay, there's our output. Nice. So the changed version here is, I wonder if we should print the difference. I mean, people, I guess, could do the difference themselves. I don't know. Is the difference nice to have? Maybe it is. Same just with basic stuff. Whippersnapper, I used MQTT and JSON manually on the S2 to get it working, then moved it to another project. So this one was basically not quite 100 bytes, maybe like 60 or 70-ish bytes bigger. Strings, though, actually are a larger percentage. So it, it almost looks like, it looks like pretty much all of the bytes that were added were strings, because... Yeah, because that's like that same 70-ish added to that. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if we want a third section with like summary or conclusion or something where it it could do the subtraction to say like additional size with this branch is x bytes, additional string size is x, you know, whatever. This the the percentage, I mean, I guess it could subtract the percentages as well. Hmm. We'll see. Maybe I'll ask for feedback on that on the comment. I don't know if it's worth having it print more or if it doesn't, if it's not worth it because it basically just the numbers that are already there doesn't actually give us new information, just puts it into the comment for us. Okay. I do think that worked though. So I think we could take this out and then we could basically go back to cookie cutter, put in this new stuff. Having the difference done for people would be helpful. I don't think this works.
So we added... We didn't change this because all of that logic lives inside of here. So really the things we added were after clone size tools and before check sizes. Was clone main branch, build main branch. And I, that's not supposed to be. I why do sub term stand old main okay If we wanted it to comment, this would be in here. We'd basically go We should store the percentage.
There we go. And one more. This one down here. Okay. Now we have those as variables. So then after this kind of stuff, we could be doing output string plus equals another one of these. Summary. MPY file size difference. Changed version minus curve version line MPY strings size difference changed curve. UI strings percentage changed per okay. Eventually we're gonna remove all of this stuff. I'm gonna leave it still for right now, but Add summary section, size comment, differences. Okay, so we removed that. So we should pretty much get the same numbers as last time. but with the summary. Why are you spilling all over me, water? All right. And I think I'll be heading out here pretty soon. So thank you again to everybody for watching. I will 
watch this one to the end. We'll see if it uh, we'll see if it's working or if we need to tweak anything. I may make the tweaks, but eventually once we get this one printing the summary section here, I'll probably be turning it in for the night. So if anybody has any last minute questions or comments or anything else that you would like to share or say, now is the time to do it. And beyond that, we will hang out for a few minutes and watch the actions here and then call it a night. Uh, gotta say definitely thanks again to C. Grover for that palette filter. I think that's definitely gonna be a super cool um, utility for Display.io. I think that makes a lot of stuff easier for us. So thanks again for sharing that and sending me the link to uh, take a look at. Yep, you do the same as well, DJ Devin. Have a good night to you and everybody else who's watching. Yeah, for sure. It's taking quite a while, huh? Okay, there we go. Finally. You just gotta just gotta say something about it, is all. It knows. It knows. Got ears. Ears everywhere. Pre-commits. I don't think I haven't run pre-commit for a while. I guess I've been passing though, right? That's a good sign. Oops. Thanks for the stream. Good to be watching. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for watching. Definitely appreciate you watching. Hope you have a nice night as well, uh, Harold. Got here. Golden assets. So that's the changed version. I will say the uh, while it would save us some time to not have to build main, honestly, it doesn't take hardly any time at all. One second only for the build. I'm surprised it's not longer, truthfully, though. Okay. I think we're looking good. Let's head back to here. There we go. MPY file size difference was 69. The strings difference was 73. We didn't round our percentage. Let's do that the same way we did the others. I haven't been running pre-commit on this. Got some line two longs. Those to take care of.
Yeah, for sure. Thank you, uh, C. Grover. Happy to happy to tinker around with it, take a look, and definitely looking forward to using it. So, store percentages and variables. What else do we do? Oh, output the summary. Add summary section. Or I guess we already had the summary section, didn't we? We just tweaked it a bit. We did. Um, yeah, some of this stuff is old actually. We did round, round uh, summary percentage two places and add the percent sign. That's relatively minor. And then code format. Yeah, really, those are the only two things we did. Code format makes it look like there was more changes than there were, but it's all right. Spelled summary wrong, oh well forever etched into the commit history now. So yeah, this is odd to me that these are different, right? Does that make sense that this could be different? That feels wrong, doesn't it? Hello, Tim. Hope you're having a good day. Yeah, I'm ha I am. I hope you're having a good day as well. I'm going to be heading out here pretty soon, but I think thanks for, uh, thanks for watching and mentioning that, Roy. Appreciate that. Um, couldn't these be the same? Or, or if not the same, shouldn't the file size be as big or bigger than the strings size? It's not that simple. Because it feels like if there were 73 more bytes of strings, wouldn't there have to be at least 73 more bytes of total size? Because the strings are part of the total size. It must not be one-to-one -one like I'm thinking. There must be some cases where the things inside the strings output are actually slightly bigger, I guess, than they end up occupying in the final file. That's the only thing I could think of that could cause that, but... All right. I think that's where we will call it tonight. We got our summary print in there. I did go back and make the change to truncate this to two percentage uh, decimals like these ones are and also add the percent sign, uh, but I won't bother making another commit for that right now. Um, only other thing really to do still would be to commit cookie cutter. Uh, and I'll hold off on that. I think what I'll do is when I do test this, I'll test it another time to get another printout with the updated percentage here. Uh, and then once that's done, I will push those commits to cookie cutter. That way I can link back to the comment that has the latest stuff in it um, in that cookie cutter PR. Uh, and I'll Probably end up doing that tomorrow, 
during my stream. That's my guess as far as right now, at least. So if you're interested in seeing that or seeing the continuation of this project, uh, come and join me tomorrow morning on my stream. You can find it on FoamyGuy underscore Twitch. Or if you come to the live broadcast chat, which is the Discord chat that's on the screen down there, uh, then I'll put the links there in the morning. That's tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Central Time. So I'll be back um, working on this stuff again, I think. Uh, we'll see if, if tomorrow brings anything different as well. I may branch out into some other things also, uh, but I'll probably start here. So that's what we've got for now. Thanks again to everybody for watching. I do hope everyone has a good evening. Um, yeah, again, definitely appreciate everybody uh, purchasing hardware from Adafruit. Thank you to Adafruit for sponsoring uh, myself to work on CircuitPython as well as paying the rest of the team uh, of folks who work on it. So huge thanks to them. And thank you to everybody for watching. 